Exodus 20, where it says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And then if you move into the New Testament, into Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 17, we really have that sort of teased out a bit and worked out a little bit for us by the Apostle Paul. And so he says, so I tell you, from verse 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he goes on. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Thank God again tonight for his word. Just ask that you'll come and we'll pray together. Let's just pray. And Father, we pray tonight that the, the focus of the worship that we've been led in, of the songs that we've sung, will be reflected in the attitude of our hearts as we come to you. That we'll come just wanting to know more of Jesus, wanting to surrender our lives to him, wanting to put him first in every area, in every aspect of our life. So Lord, be with us, speak to us now through your word and by your spirit that Jesus may then be glorified in our lives. Amen. Now some of you here, I'm, I'm sure, will remember the, the science fiction series a number of years ago, The X-Files, and its, its trademark statement was, the truth is out there. Well, I'm going to um, give you my first point now and tell you that really the title of that first point is The, the Realm of Lies. And what I want to do is to, to actually turn that statement on its head and to say that I believe that as far as the, the world out there is concerned, it is lies that are out there. And too often, it's also lies that are in here as well. We do live today in a world, in a realm of lies. Just one statistic that might help to confirm this for you is that sociologists have determined, they've calculated, don't ask me how they do it, but they have, that in an average day, each one of us will see or hear 300 lies, 300 untruths. Actually, it was 200, but I just wanted to add to the score and demonstrate that you just never know where lies are going to come in the world that we live in. Now, of course, lies... And some of the surrounding banter that can sometimes be portrayed and expressed in ways, you know, some of the things that can be quite comical. 
Vincent's and of all places the House are forbidden to call one of their fellow MPs a liar. Amazing. Break that rule and you face a period of expulsion. And so once in the middle of a heated debate, Winston Churchill, when he was a backbencher, accused his opponent of what he said perpetrating a terminological inexactitude. But by the time the Speaker of the House of Commons had managed to figure out that what Winston Churchill had actually said was to call the person a liar, well, the debate had then progressed too far for anything to be done about it. And then, of course, we've got that popular, just throwing the mind back again, that popular TV series of many years ago, yes, Prime Minister, that was apparently the Prime Minister at the time, Margaret Thatcher's favourite TV programme, where the, the unthinkable thing, the unthinkable act would be for the senior civil servants or Humphrey ever to give a straight answer. But you know, that's the kind of light side, but the reality is that lying is usually much more serious and much darker than this. As we're going to see now, as we'll look at some of the, the areas in life that form the realm of lies, where lies are most commonly to be found. So first of all then, in, in society in general, we find not surprisingly lies in politics. For example, will we ever get to the truth about the infamous weapons of mass destruction that were never found in Iraq? And will we ever really get to the truth as to why, in reaction to 9-11, an attack perpetrated by Al-Qaeda, religious extremists, why, in response to this, Iraq was attacked? A largely secular dictatorship with, at best, tenuous links to Al-Qaeda. And then in our own country, what, what sticks out in my mind personally was once while I was driving around catching a snippet of Prime Minister's questions on the, the radio. And William Hague at this point was the leader of the opposition and he was attacking the, the Prime Minister, Tony Blair, in regard to the Millennium Dome project. When it seemed, you know, that following the Millennium, that this was going to be a big white elephant. Though actually it's been transformed since that into the O2 arena, which you might think is a white elephant, but that's a different thing. But you see, Mr. Haig, on this famous day, he trawled through it all. All the wasted money, the wildly optimistic attendance figures that had been used to justify so much money being spent on this project. What he forgot to mention, though, as Tony Blair later gleefully pointed out, was that he'd actually been on the original planning group that had come up with the concept of the dome, where it was to be sited, and that accepted those crazy attendance figures. So you see, each of them, by telling half-truths, by remaining silent about the truth that they knew, each one of them tried to shift the blame. The facts were, though, the truth was that they were all to blame for the shambles that project became. But in looking, though, at this whole area of lies and politics, lies in government, I actually came across something that, that personally I find scary. For just now, we've got all the allegations, haven't we, that are being made against Donald Trump. We've got all that. But, you know, a number of years previous to this, uh, we had 
the infamous Watergate scandal that led to Richard Nixon, then the President of the United States, being basically removed from office when he was found guilty of illegally spying on his political opponents. Well, you know, Rob Warner, who's got a great book on the the Ten Commandments, he makes this comment about this. And he says, it is a great tribute to the American Constitution that presidential duplicity was unmasked, forcing his resignation. If Nixon had been in power in Britain, the Official Secrets Act would have concealed his corruption and led to the prosecution of any who attempted to make public revelations. So you see, the Official Secrets Act, which I'm sure is there for good reason, and I've no doubt has has many good points, many benefits, and yet the way that it's actually framed at the moment, it's possible for it to be used to give legal protection to lies and corruption in government. So Sir David Steele, former leader of the Liberal Party, he's warned that the level of secrecy in Britain today has reached proportions that seriously undermine the health of our democracy. (coughs) And then we also find lies, we find deceit in business. And one of the perhaps most common and even widely acceptable forms of this is the late payment of bills. You see, many large firms today go into contracts with smaller firms agreeing to pay their bills by a certain date, but with no actual intention of ever doing so. You see, they want their money gathering interest in their banks. While these small firms scrape by paying high interest on their overdrafts, or even because of this at times, going bust. And that poor guy, poor old John Major, he kept on doing it. He spoke out against this once when he was Prime Minister in a speech. And as was so often the case for him, his words rebounded against him when it was found out that one of his own closest supporters had made much of his own fortune of many millions by just those kind of practices. But you know, this is just one tiny example or a few tiny examples of the lies and deceit that are common in business today. Just recently I was listening to a, a sermon featuring a pastor of one of those big mega churches in the United States and on it he spoke of recently coming back from speaking at a men's conference and, and being just crushed in his spirit at the number of Christian businessmen who felt that they had to lie and had to adopt shady business practices in order to compete in an increasingly crooked world. But moving on here from this, we've, we've also got lies in the media. Lies in the media in our society today. And here, what we're not just talking here about the fact that we've not simply to naively believe everything that we find on the internet or read in the papers and see and hear on TV and radio. I think we all realised that a long, long time ago. But you know, I think we've actually reached a point where we see lies in the media now taking a new and much more sinister turn. Well, it's not so much misreporting, but where rather truth is now being manufactured and manipulated and distorted by the media in order that they might achieve the end results that they're looking for. I mean, you've got, for an example, the gay agenda of the media. 
Because in documentaries and dramas, soaps, etc., the number of gay relationships that are portrayed there now are way, way out of proportion to the numbers that we actually find in society. You see, what's going on is the brainwashing of society by misrepresenting willfully the truth. And then, just one terrible example of the fondness of today's media for outright lies was found a, a number of years ago now in an episode of the Jerry Springer show. And that's a show where they specialise in getting vulnerable people to publicly share the most intimate details of what are often bizarre and distorted lives and lifestyles. Anyway, in one programme, they lured a woman onto the set by basically outright lying to her and telling her that her former husband wanted to be reconciled to her. What actually happened was that this man and his present wife proceeded to humiliate this woman on national television. But not content with that, after this program was aired, her former husband then broke into her house and beat her to death. And it all began with a deliberate lie by the producers of that program. And what's even worse and more horrifying is that they showed not the slightest bit of remorse or regret about this. And then what about sport? What about lies and deceit and cheating in regard to sport? You know, the old concept of sportsmanship seems to be long gone, doesn't it? What matters now is winning whatever way you can. And one of the most, you know, publicised and remarkable examples of this was Maradona, you know, his famous goal against England in the World Cup. Now, I know that the fact that it was against England made it much more acceptable in Scotland, and for many it's one of their all-time great sporting moments in this country, but, you know, it was clearly wrong. It was a handball. And uh, Maradona, with his tongue firmly in cheek, we know after this, was interviewed and talked about this goal being scored by the hand of God. But you see, what's wrong is that instead of being vilified, so much of the world's media cast Maradona in the, the kind of role of the, the lovable rogue. And that's the extent to which lies and cheating have become ingrained in sport. And we all know what's going on with Russia now and the, the whole kind of industrial drugs thing that, that's going on there to the extent that, you know, a number of years ago, Chris Brasher, who won a, a gold medal for, for Britain at the Olympics in 1956, he's now, he's boycotted the going, he's not interested because of the widespread nature of drug taking. I could go on and on, believe me I could, but I, I, I'm sure, I hope I've said enough to demonstrate to you that lying, cheating today, it's actually accepted and part of the fabric of our society. It's out there. But bring it back home, what about our personal lives? Do we find that, that lies to the same extent have taken root there as well, in our own lives? Well, let's just think about just a few of the ways in which we can lie or at least bear false testimony. Some of the ways we can be economical, fail to witness fully to the truth we know. So first of all then, we've got the plain and straightforward, out and out, destructive lie. We've got the lie where the intention is malicious. The lie 100%. Such as say in Genesis 39 where Mrs. Potiphar tried to seduce Joseph 
And when he wouldn't succumb to her charms, she was angry because she felt rejected. So she told lies about Joseph. She framed him and he ended up rotting for many years in an Egyptian prison. Now I'm sure I'd like to hope that there aren't many, if any, people here would be guilty of that kind of crude, outright lie. But then we've got the defensive lie. An example of that surely being Peter in the courtyard. Remember the Peter who said that he would never deny Jesus, no matter what, and who yet repeatedly said in that courtyard that he did not know him, that he wasn't one of his disciples. You see here, Peter had his back up against the wall. Peter here was afraid of what the truth might cost him. So he lied and he lied and each lie kept on dragging him further and further deep and down into the mud and the mire of guilt and shame. Maybe that's getting a little bit warmer now. And then we've got deceit where we disguise the truth. Those famous white lies where we shade the truth and so again succeed in hiding the truth. And what about flattery? An example where we say something good that we don't really believe about another person and we do it all for the sake of our own gain. Because we want to look good in their eyes or in others' eyes. Because we're looking for what we can, can get out of it. Do you know that Proverbs 29 verse 5 says, that when we flatter someone in this way, someone who we don't believe deserves it, that we actually set a trap for them. That's what it says. It says that we give them a false confidence about themselves that may well lead to disaster. And we're culpable for that. Also in this same area, we've got exaggeration, where we make ourselves look better than we really are. Do you know what the modern Latin word for this is today? Curriculum vitae. Mm. For I tell you, I've been amazed in, in recent years at what I've read sometimes in applications from those who've been seeking full-time Christian service or ministry. You know, the, people, the language that people more and more are using to speak of themselves, things like, you know, excelling in, I'm wonderful at, I want to say, if other people want to say that about us, then that's their business. But for me, maybe I'm just old, well, I'm old. But, you know, to make these kind of claims for ourselves, I actually find that hard to line up and to see how that fits in with the humility of the Christ who we're called to follow and to serve. Final thing that I want to mention here is lying by silence. When by my silence, by saying nothing, I keep the truth from you that I know that maybe you need to hear and that I know could probably help you. Now, I've had a few little ouches along the way, but this is one that brings the biggest one from me because I know that there have been times when in conversation I've heard people say things and seen people do things and I've kept silent when really as I look back, I know I should have spoken and I've done it for the sake of peace. Just to keep myself out of trouble, I suppose. But there can be another kind of ouch, I think, associated with what we're talking about here. You know, this whole area here. For you see, maybe some of us, maybe you're, you're sitting there 
And you're kind of thinking, you're mentally sort of rubbing your hands in anticipation because you're thinking, oh, what he's saying, this means that I can say what I've always wanted to say, that at last I can get it out and I can sort them out. I'll tell them the truth, okay? I'll have to say I'm sorry, but no. This doesn't give you license to lay a verbal axe to somebody else's head. Listen rather, I would say, in the context of what I'm saying now, to what Ephesians 4.15 says. Add this on, because it says there, speak the truth. Yes, it says, speak the truth. Keep it out there. Don't be silent when you know what's right and true and it needs to be said, speak it. You do it. But it goes on. Speak the truth in love. That is before you speak, before you open your mouth, make sure that your heart is filled with love for that other person, that you really do want the best for them. And when you then go on to speak, make sure that what you have to say, you say it in the most loving and in the most positive way that you possibly can. But I think I've said enough, hope I've said enough to, I hope, convince everyone here that lying is all around us. It's out there. And it's also in here. It's deeply ingrained in the human heart. Let's move on now, though, to look at the reason, looking for the, moving on from the realm to the reason for lying. And we're not going to spend much time on this because... It's pretty straightforward, the reason for lying. And that is Satan. The power of evil is the reason for lying. Because it's in him, it's in that evil power that the roots of falsehood lie. That's where it's rooted. And he's the motivator. He's the inspirer of lies. Jesus in John 8, 44 calls him a liar. And the father of lies. You see, this is another way in which the evil one stands in total opposition to God. The God who is truth. The God who is of the truth. So you see, when we lie, we show. Not that we're satanic or demonic. Not saying that at all. No, but we show that at that point in our lives, we are under the devil's influence. That we're allowing our lives again to be influenced by him. But that's an influence that I believe that we can break and I would say that we have to break in Jesus. So we're going to spend the rest of our time, just a short little while now, looking at how we can do this, at the remedy for lies given to us by God in Jesus Christ. And here it's, it's Galatians 4 sorry, Ephesians 4 from verse 17 that I read earlier that comes into play. And I'll just share it with you again. Ephesians 4 from verse 17. So Paul says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, 
did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which means corrupted with its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, because of all of this, each one of you must put off all falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we, all, um, for we are all members of one body. Now, I think this, this tells us here three, at least three things that have got to be in place in our lives if our lives are going to be marked by truth. And the first thing is, first of all, we have to learn the truth. We've got to learn it. That is, we have to learn where the truth is to be found, and then we've got to sow that truth in if we're going to live lives of truth. So where's the truth to be found? Quite simply, it's to be found in Jesus. And it's only as we look to Jesus, it's only as we learn of Jesus, it's only as day by day we bring our lives and seek to fill our lives with Jesus that we'll find out what truth really is. And in the course of that, as we find that truth, that we'll have that which is falsehood in our lives, that which is brought into our lives through the society around us, that we'll find that exposed and brought right out into the open. It's that truth of Jesus that will do it. For what does it say in verse 21? Surely you have heard of him and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus Christ. You know, I read a story uh, some time ago about a little Scottish mining villages. One of those villages where you used to get the, the big pit bings, literally mountains of black waste. And often it was at the, the foot of these big mountains that cottages, the little miners' cottages, would be built. Not the safest place, and we know because of tragedies like Aberfan, but, but that's the way it was. Anyway, the story that I read goes that one evening a housewife in one of these little cottages decided to hang out her washing. And as she hung her washing out, she was really thrilled, just so thrilled and so proud, to be honest, at how white and clean, how pristine her washing looked in contrast to that big black pit bing behind it. And she was so happy that she decided to leave it out overnight so that everybody else could see it. And in the morning, she, she got up early because she couldn't wait to see it again, you know, to feast her eyes on her hard work and handiwork. But she got up and as she looked out, she couldn't believe her eyes. For you see, during the night, snow had fallen. And in contrast to the snow, her once seemingly dazzlingly white washing now looked decidedly yellow. And now it was a rush to get it in before the neighbours got their eyes on it. And you know, that's the way it is with truth and with Jesus. We might think we know what's true. And we might think that we live pretty honest, upright, truthful lives. We might think that as we look at those around us, at the world around us. But you know, 
It's only as we look at Jesus that we see truth as it really is and that we then see our lives as they really are. And that is true for us who are Christians too. And if we look away from Jesus, if we don't soak in Jesus and soak in his word, if we fail to keep Jesus Christ in a real way as Lord of our lives, at the center of our lives, then it's not too long before that that light of Jesus, that white of Jesus begins to dim in us. And so we've got to learn then But not only to learn, we've also got to love the truth. You see, we've got to to love, to value God's truth in Jesus Christ so much that we will choose every single day, as it says in verse 22 and 23, we'll choose every day to put off the old and to put on the new. That every day we will make the choice, we'll say again and make the commitment, I'm not going to live the way that I used to live. I'm not going to live the way the world around me lives. No, I'm not going to live live the way my natural desires may incline me to live. No, instead, I am going to choose to put on the new. Instead, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus Christ, to live my life guided by his word, to open my heart to the life and the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can live as Jesus would have me live. And that's the third thing I believe we need to have in place if we're going to be obedient to this commandment, if we're going to be truly faithful to Jesus. We need to live the truth. We need to determine to live Jesus, to determine to live the life of Jesus in lives of honesty and integrity. We've got to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live that Jesus way. But you know, I want you to understand this. Living like this will have a positive influence on some people. There will be some people who, as you really live for Jesus, will want to know about the Jesus who's transformed you, who's made that difference in your life that they can see they'll want to know but you know the effect on others will be as it was the case with those who actually came into contact with Jesus himself some will get antagonistic you see they will get angry as God's righteousness working in us brings to light the sin that's in them and in this world they won't like being revealed to be that wee bit yellow and faded. But no matter what, we need to seek to live this kind of life. We need to seek to be obedient to this command. We need to seek not to live in falsehood. Because it's as we do that we will live lives that are pleasing to God. It's as we live like this that we'll glorify Him. And it's as we live like this that we're living in the freedom that Christ brings. And that brings joy. No matter what this world throws against us, that brings joy. Let's come and pray together. Father, we just want to say tonight that we recognize that, Lord, we do live in a world where deceit is just totally part of the fabric of our society. There is so much that is falsehood in our world. But Father, although this world is 
in the control of the one who is the father of lies, yet we trust tonight in a God who is sovereign and who has power to defeat Satan. You're the God who can set us free from the influences of this world. You're the God who can help us to live lives that are of the truth, in the truth, soaked in your truth, and that reflect your truth to this world. Help us, Lord, to commit our lives again to you, to resolve, to put off the old, and day by day, to put on the new. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing just now.